If you're like most wedding pros, I know your inbox is not flooded with inquiries right now. But if you're getting at least a trickle, you know how important it is to make the most of the few that are flowing through. That's why it's crucial to get the kinks out of your sales process. And a great place to start is when and how you're trying to close the deal. In this episode of Own Your Business, I'm going to talk about three big reasons why you're getting ghosted or getting no's. Five popular approaches to closing that actually backfire more than they work. And simple ways to tweak the process. Not overhaul it, just tweak it to convert more inquiries and higher prices. But real quick, before we begin the program in about 10-15 seconds, if you are a wedding planner and it's Monday or Tuesday before March 8, 2023, check out BreakthroughWeddingPlanning.com. Link in the show notes for more information on the new trading program I've partnered on with Megan Gilligan from the Planner's Vault. We're showing event managers how to sell and service full planning clients so you can make more with every date on the calendar and get more of your weekends back. Now, on to the episode. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. It's been really busy over here at our little business up in the Pacific Northwest. Katie and I have been head down, nose of the grindstone for, gosh, at least a couple months. Once it turned New Year, it's like the floodgates opened and all of a sudden we just got tidal wave of interest and copywriting and coaching and all these new programs we've been doing for so many wedding pros in so many different fields. It's been pretty exciting. And one of the things that I've had a lot of requests for are sales process audits. Now, I've, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast over the last couple of years. I, I mentioned every once in a while the newsletter. It's this nice little service that we offer. I do all of them. And we go through and break apart all the different components of a sales process and then diagnose what's at issue. It's kind of like taking your car into the mechanic and going, I don't know what's working, but it's not running like it used to or like it should. And I want you to figure out what's going on and then fix it. So here are the symptoms that my clients typically come to me with when they're interested in a sales process audit. My calendar isn't filling in. I don't know what's going on, but the dates aren't booking and I'm starting to get a little worried. Another one that I hear is nothing's booked for months. Could have been two, three, four months. I heard this one the other day. I've had 15 people in a row say no. Clearly something's wrong. Couples tell me that they're going in a different direction. I hear this one all the time. Or maybe they're taking a pass because of the budget. So when these are the symptoms that are brought to me, my job then is to figure out where the breakdown is in the sales process. Is it early? Is it late? Is it somewhere in the middle? And when I go through and I do these sales process audits, I'm really checking into seven big areas. I'm looking at the overall sales process. I'm looking at the website and the contact form. I can't tell you how many times I see the contact form as a reason why they're not getting very many inquiries. The third area is the initial inquiry response. Number four is general correspondence. I love going through and looking at email threads to see how people are communicating with potential clients. 
Number five, discovery call questions. Send your questions over. I'll take a look at them. Number six is the proposal or pricing guide, which is what I get sometimes. And number seven are the actual packages and pricing that you're creating for your clients. So when I go through, I'm really checking for how things are working, what things are getting in the way, and then also what are the opportunities for improvement. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, you'll start seeing success with your sales process, with the results at least, by looking at issues in three areas. The process itself is the structure of how you're guiding people through the buyer's journey, working or not. Then, if that's working, are you operating the sales process? Are you skillfully creating an extraordinary buyer's experience for couples who are inquiring? And the third area is if the process is dialed in and your skills are up to par, is what you're saying, are the marketing messages, the sales messages that you're communicating during the inquiry process on point? Now, the process is the easiest to fix because science has already shown us what the best way to sell is. You don't have to wonder about that. You can just look it up or keep listening to my podcast. That's the easiest thing to fix. The skills are hard because training takes time. You have to have the ability to learn and the willingness to practice. Not everybody succeeds in growing their sales skills. I was reading a book a couple of years ago and it mentioned a study that was done. It was actually a meta study, which is a study of studies. And it looked at over 600,000 salespeople who were evaluated on whether or not they were going to be able to succeed in their position. These are professional salespeople. They're in a company, hired to do sales, trained to do sales, coached and supervised on a daily basis to get better at doing sales. And out of the 600,000 people, what they determined is that 150,000 of them, 25% were never going to meet expectations for their position. 25% of professional salespeople were never going to be able to do their job well enough. That's kind of scary. These are professionals. Imagine what it's like for people who aren't professionals, who don't have training, who don't have a system set up and talking points or scripts to use. That's you as a wedding pro, right? That means that many of you will struggle to get better or at least good enough. The third area, messaging. This one is so hard and so time consuming to get right that we don't even train people on how to do it or coach them through it. We just do it for you. Getting the right messages is really tough. Our team, when we do copywriting for our clients, we create brand communication strategies. We'll spend 25, 30 hours, sometimes more doing research, and coming up with the right messages to communicate on the website. And we're professionals. We've done this hundreds of times. So when you're going through and thinking about what's wrong with your booking process or what's wrong with what's happening when people inquire and why you're not getting the conversion rates or the prices that you want to charge, it's any of these three things, process, skills, or messaging. And this is why the sales process audit is such good bang for buck because it's quick, easy, and relatively inexpensive to fix the actual process. Now I do them for under a grand and it includes a 90 minute one-on-one along with a multi-page report, 
filled with recommendations and suggestions on things to start doing, things to stop doing, and things to continue doing. Over the last few weeks, I've done a ton of sales process audits, and all of them were a little bit different because the biggest issues that I was able to uncover with each client was unique to them. Here's a few examples. One of the clients that I was working with had the same way of selling to all clients, but as we know, there are different types of buyers, which means that we have to sell in different ways to connect with them. And we have to guide the process in different ways because certain people don't make decisions in the same way. Another one was marketing to an ideal client avatar and they were attracting that client, but then they were selling to them in a way that was designed to turn them off. So they're bringing in, say, a dreamer, buyer type, but then they were selling to them like an analyzer. And those are opposites, so it's not going to work. I had another client that had automated too much of his sales process after their family added a new baby. They got so busy at home that they thought, okay, let's just automate things as much as we can. But in automating it, they took away the personal experience. Another example, and I see this quite a bit, I had one client who created a high-pressure buying experience unknowingly. And it made it so much more difficult for people, couples, to feel comfortable moving through, especially after they got the proposal. Now, each one of these had a big problem that was unique to them. But many of them have the same problems. And I want to chat about one of the same problems that I see over and over and over again because I see it so frequently. And that is, how do you close deals successfully? How do you close the deal at the end? Well, the short answer is, if you're doing all the things well up to the point that you ask for the business, it shouldn't be hard to close the deal. It should be easy. When you put your proposal out and you get that second phone call scheduled and you warm them up and you ask them what they thought about the proposal, if they're on the call with you, it's very likely that they're ready to say yes. They might have a small number of things that are holding them back, but you could overcome those concerns and objections pretty easily. But it requires you to minimize mistakes along the way. If you do all the things well up to the point that you ask for the business, you can't make mistakes along the way. And here are five big mistakes that I see over and over again. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background on why you need to avoid them. Number one, people use a PDF and pray approach when they get the inquiry response. So there's two components to this. One is the PDF and the other is the hope strategy. The PDF is what you send as your pricing guide attached to a big, long, generic, templated email with a ton of information in it that goes out oftentimes automatically, or maybe there's a template that you have in your CRM and you just have to go in and tweak a couple of things and then send it out. This is what I would say 60, 70% of most sales processes that I look at use. So you get an inquiry, you have a templated email, you attach a pricing guide PDF, you tweak the email a little bit to personalize it just a tad, and then you send it out and you end it with something like, let me know if you want to get on a call or let me know if you have any questions. Let me know if you're ready to book. So here's why that doesn't work as well as other approaches. 
Number one, it's overwhelming. It's a ton of information. Most of the emails that I go through and look at have somewhere in the neighborhood of 300, 400 words. Plus, there's the 14-page pricing guide that has hundreds more words in it, plus all of the packages and pricing or the a la carte services with the pricing. And you're just one of several people in your vendor category that are sending out these kinds of responses to couples that are just looking for availability and pricing and next steps. And so they get all of these emails back from you and everybody else that they inquired with, and they're overwhelmed. It's like an avalanche of information, but it's also impersonal. People are looking for somebody to guide them through the wilderness of trying to plan their wedding. And having a generic templated response doesn't create that connection that they're looking for in somebody to guide them through. Another reason why the PDF and Pray approach doesn't work is that PDFs are just really hard to consume information on a phone. If you're currently using a PDF to share information with your couples when they inquire, send the email to yourself. Open up the PDF. Look at it on your phone. See how easy it is to read the copy. And the last thing here, and I just want to make sure that this is very clear, is that it's important to give couples pricing, but you don't want to give them detailed, specific pricing so early in the sales process. They don't know what they need yet. They don't know what you do to meet those needs. And so the price has no value. And you're always going to look too expensive when the value hasn't been built. It's much better to drip out the information in phone-friendly ways throughout the buyer's journey. That's what we want to do instead. The second big mistake I see is that people are selling on the discovery call. The discovery call is meant to help your couples discover what it is they want and need the most, for you to connect with them, for you to discover what they want and need most, the emotional and the functional needs. But a lot of people are putting out a screen share with their brochure or pricing guide and walking couples through this scripted presentation with collateral on a screen and they're going on for minutes and minutes and minutes or they're making most of the call about this and then the real whammy is at the end when you're like okay great so which one looks good to you so that's a hard sell why doesn't it work well there are three big reasons number one is something called reactant psychological reactance occurs when humans feel like they're having options or freedoms taken away from them. If we feel like we're being painted into a corner, we push back. Or we throw up a wall and get defensive. It triggers things in our brain that go back thousands and thousands of generations. It's wired into our D DNA to not feel pinned down. And that's what we feel when somebody traps us on a call that's supposed to be a conversation. It turns into a pitch for buy my services. Another reason why pitching on the discovery call doesn't work is because the right people aren't on the call. There are multiple people involved in making a decision for picking whatever it is that you do as a vendor in the wedding industry. And the first person who reaches out is, is like a scout bringing back all the information to the committee that's going to make an informed decision together. And so the person who's got the credit card is probably not on the call or at least the person who's on the call doesn't have the authority to say yes by themselves or on the call. So it doesn't make sense to pitch somebody who's not in 
what you would call the buying window. The window of opportunity is not open for them to say yes. And it's probably not even the right buyer, or at least all of them. The third reason why pitching on the discovery call doesn't work is because couples need more time to process the needs that they just learned. Most couples have an understanding only of the functional needs that they have for whatever it is that you do. They don't have an understanding of the emotional needs yet. And that's your job on the discovery call is to help them understand what they really need from you. And it takes time once you understand that for the first time you're you're thinking, oh, wow, you're right. I get it. I understand now what it is that I really need. And that now it makes so much more sense. I need to share this with my fiance. I need to mull this over. I need to figure out what the implications are to our budget. Whatever it may be, they need more time to process it. So it, instead of pitching on the discovery call, it's better to give yourself a second call to review the proposal that you'll send out after the discovery call. First call, discovery call. Then you send out the custom proposal. Then you have a second call to review the proposal. Spread it out over time. You'll reduce the reactants. You'll get the right buyers on the call. And you'll give them the time that they need to process what it is that they just learned. Third big reason that I see people fail to close deals is that they're using generic proposals. So I would consider a, a PDF pricing guide, whether it's PDF or not, even if it's just a hidden web page, but it's a generic pricing guide that you send out my 2023 pricing guide, 2024 pricing guide, that's a generic proposal. That's not a real proposal. That's just a brochure, a menu of things that you offer. We want to create a real proposal. The reason why generic proposals don't work is that they're too general. I was giving a presentation a couple weeks ago with Megan Gillikin, and one of the slides that we created was a picture of a woman getting a tailored dress experience. So she went into a, a gown salon and she was buying buying a, a, dre- a dress for her wedding. And the image showed the woman standing there with a the dress on and one of the shop tailors going through and making hems and changes, alterations to the dress to make sure that it fit her perfectly. And on the other side of the screen was a similar looking woman wearing a dress made out of a burlap sack. The burlap sack is like a PDF pricing guide or a generic proposal. You have to make sure that you're tailoring the experience, especially as your price goes up. Another reason why generic proposals don't work is that it oftentimes has solutions or services that are not needed for the person who's inquiring. When you throw out a generic pricing guide, it just is a blanket solution to everything that's out there. But it's not a perfect solution to the people who are inquiring. Oftentimes, you'll find out on the discovery call, for instance, that there are things that your client needs that your pricing guide doesn't talk about or mention or do a very good job, a very compelling job in doing it. And that's what you want your proposal to do. The last reason that I see that a lot of generic proposals don't work is that it's mostly about you and what you do. It's not about the couple and what they get in working with you. If you've got a bio and a bunch of accolades and it kind of reads like a resume when you're sharing information about your services and your pricing, that's not doing you a lot of favors. That's important stuff, but it's not the most important thing. You want to talk about how the things you do connect with what it is that your couples need. How does your experience 
make it more likely for you to give the couple what it is that they want to need. That's what you're trying to share. It's not about you. It's about them. And it's not about the features that you offer. It's about the benefits that they receive. And so make sure that your proposal, whether it's generic or tailored, has that focus. Ultimately, the best approach is use a custom proposal that tailors your services within the context of what it is that they need. That's how you're going to close more deals. The fourth big challenge that I see from people who are having a hard time closing deals is that you're offering a menu of services that the couple can choose from. So you share uh, some sort of brochure, pricing guide, hidden web page that has the generic services you offer and all of the different things that they can get from you. Let's say you're a photographer. It could be that you've got your base package and then you say, here are all the different things you can add on. Rehearsal dinner, second shooter, engagement session, albums. Not just albums, but all the different kinds of albums and different sizes and different covers. It's a lot. It's too much. It doesn't work because people get overwhelmed when they have too many choices. Barry Schwartz coined the term, the paradox of choice. You can watch his TED Talk. It's actually really good. Just look up paradox of choice, TED Talk. It's like 20 minutes. It'll give you some insight into how easily people get overwhelmed. And what ends up happening is that something sets in called ego depletion or decision fatigue. Basically, our brains can only make so many logical, rational, deliberate decisions without wanting to avoid doing more of them. And so we either shut down or make bad choices. Ultimately, many people get stuck in what's called analysis paralysis, where they're overanalyzing all the different options because they can't figure out a criteria to make a solid decision, so they decide instead to not make a decision at all. And that's not what you want to happen when you're hoping that people are going to choose what services, what option they're going to use to work with you. They also don't know what they need. If you gave a menu of information, hey, which one of these things do you want to buy, but you don't know exactly which one you need or why the different options are important or what the differences are between the options, it increases uncertainty, risk, doubt. And that's not something that you want people to feel when they're making a decision about how they're going to work with you or if they're going to work with you. A better approach is to offer three different bundles of services to choose from put those out in your custom proposal and make it easy for them to choose. The fifth big reason that people struggle with closing deals is at the very end when you're putting all of this stuff together, you're putting too much pressure on the couple to make a decision. I see this a lot. I see times running out or the offer expires or proposal is good for 72 hours. It's, it's challenging. It's high pressure. I literally saw a proposal in the last few weeks where there was a countdown clock on the top of the proposal. That's pretty aggressive. Now, that technique can work when there's actually a deadline and a reason why the offer goes away. But the challenge right now with whatever it is that you do, whatever category you're in, is that there's probably not a real hard deadline. Like you're not going to have, like the offer's not going to turn into a pumpkin at some point. The only thing that really is going to get in the way from a couple booking is that 
another couple takes a date or you arbitrarily decide to say, sorry, prices went up. But I don't know many wedding pros who are actually saying that to their clients when they come back after the 72 hour offer expires. It feels salesy. I mean, it feels really salesy, I think. And it may work for these simple decisions, but it's not for the complex decisions, not for the ones that it involve high dollars, lots of risk, multiple decision makers. They need more time. If you're going to spend eight, 10, 12, $15,000 or, or even $1,500 on something, you're going to want to mull it over. You're going to want to compare it with other offers. So if you're the first person submitting a proposal and they want to have three or four proposals in front of them before they make a decision, which is totally reasonable, it may take other vendors longer to get the proposal to the couple. And if your offer expires in 48 hours, you may not be in the running anymore. You use a scarcity principle and tactic, but it backfired on you because now the couple is believing you and taking you at your word that the proposal is no longer good. And so you're not even in the mix anymore. They throw it out because the offer had expired. What do you do when the milk goes bad? You throw it out. You dump it down the sink. Don't make that your proposal. Even if you do get somebody to say yes, they might have done so under duress or under stress or pressure, and it can create buyer's remorse, which turns into a really dicey service experience, especially right after they sign the contract. They may look back and feel like they were pressured. And you don't want that kind of relationship to start things off with your clients. It's better to use different forms of influence, commitment and consistency or social proof. These are powerful ways to persuade your clients to say yes, but they don't involve a lot of scarcity. Both of these approaches, commitment and consistency and social proof, they're positive instead of negative influencers. They use pre-commitments, getting people to say yes, and then moving forward with keeping up with their word. Things like soft holds are way more effective and way more positive than saying an offer expires. You can give them something and let them know that they only get it for a temporary period of time. But you're doing it in a positive way that secures something in their mind, and that's really powerful. Now, if you do need to use a scarcity tactic, I would recommend employing it down the line as a follow-up, and that is the others are interested in your date. And this is something that you can use, but I would use it sparingly and make sure that you are being ethical by being honest. Do not make up some fictitious couple that has not actually inquired about the date. You want to be able to sleep at night knowing that you're not lying to people to get them to book your services. Now, there are lots of different models to look at in the wedding industry on how to close deals and lots of different people, educators who are saying different things. And there's lots of different models and advice givers outside of the industry too. But just because someone is doing it doesn't mean that it's doing things well for their business. And even if they're doing it and it's doing well for their business, it doesn't mean that it will do well for your business. The best way to know if your closing techniques or your proposal or the discovery call or whatever it is that you're doing is working 
is to look to your conversion rates and the average price that you're getting from your clients. And if that's not working, stop guessing, start asking experts who know how to fix what's broken. If you're interested in a sales process audit, DM me at ID Action Consulting or email me sam at idactionconsulting.com and I'll add your name to the queue. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 